I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 390 for July the 19th, 2012. I'm recording the intro to this show in New York City, although by the time you hear it, I'll be in State College, Pennsylvania, where I'm taking a month off from the Jazz or Bust Tour to spend time with my two sons, get to see a lot of their baseball games, and just hang out and have a great time, which I'm really, really looking forward to. What else do I want to tell you? I want to thank the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. I want to thank Rob Grendel for the Jazz or Bust logo and Dave Rabel for the main show logo. Also let you know that you can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can join the mailing list at thejazzsession.com. You can also become a member of the show at thejazzsession.com slash join. You can either make a one-time I should say a yearly donation or a monthly donation to become a member of the show. Or if you want to support the tour, you can make a one-time donation at thejazzsession.com slash tour and get the thank you gifts that go along with that. Early in the tour, I visited Richmond, Virginia, which has a completely amazing music scene. And a big part of that is because of this guy, Scott Clark. He's a drummer who's got a new album with his fortet, which is called A and B, and I highly recommend it. We'll hear some music from that, followed by my interview with Scott Clark. My guest is uh, drummer and composer Scott Clark. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And on a personal note, you are, are the guy who set up the, the Richmond end of this thing, which has been a blast, and I thank you for doing that and yeah. having me in your home. It's been great to be here. And Yeah, I'm glad you could come. I mean, you know, we've all been following the, the jazz session for a while, and now to have you here talking to us and seeing some of our music, it's 
It's a real treat. Well, I uh, last night I interviewed uh, Scott Burton from Glows in the Dark, Ben, in which you also play, and you know was saying to him that I had kind of built Richmond up into like almost this mythical place because Oof. there's so much great music that comes out of it, and it's cool to come here and kind of actually see. Uh, you know, see people's lives. I mean, see that it is the people are actually making lives creatively. And maybe that's a place to start before we start talking about the new uh, Fortet record and just ask about, you know, what it's like for you to be a musician here in Richmond, how you build a life doing that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's actually a really great place because you can live fairly cheaply, um, especially compared to other big cities, you know. Um, and I think that because of that reason, we're able to uh, have a little bit more time to make extra bands or, you know, do different sorts of projects that you might not have the time to in other places, you know. Um, and I think that the uh, also just the vibe of the city, I think, lends itself to that because it's a pretty laid back place. Um, and so you have time to be creative outside of your own having to hustle to make money and, and that kind of stuff. So I think that, and then also coupled with the fact that so many of us have stuck around Richmond uh, the past eight or nine years, because it, it had been the case where a lot of people would move away to a bigger city, but a handful of us stuck around. And because we've all been together for so long, uh, making music in different configurations, now we're at a place where, we've all grown together. I guess that, that creativity has fed on itself over this long period of time. You know, there hasn't been a, a mass exodus or whatever coming in and out of the city for that. interesting because the uh, I mean two things I noticed while I was here one the very first night when I went to see your band it was in I mean it was in this cool place called the commercial tap house but if I had just walked in there and said and someone had said oh yeah there's like a really hard driving free bop band playing mm. in this place in an hour I would have said yeah okay funny but yeah. who's actually <laughs> playing because yeah. it just doesn't look like the kind of place and so i was really excited and people seemed genuinely like the the owners seemed really supportive there were people there to listen on a sunday night at like 10 o'clock which was really cool and then the other thing that i really uh in, enjoyed and appreciated was the fact that a lot of the people in this like one enormous band that exists in richmond that kind of gets divided up seem to be genuinely friends i mean really care about each other and and you know everyone's rooting for everyone else. You know the uh, yep. you know for to to succeed and to make great music. And it, it was really really heartwarming to see that. Yeah, I think that is. I mean, I don't know because I've been here for so long, but I do have a lot of friends in other scenes, and that does seem to be somewhat unique. 
in that uh, we all are really close. You know, obviously you have certain groups of friends that might be closer than others, but um, I like how you said it's one big band that gets divided up into other bands. And I think, um, you know, when we have someone's birthday party or something, uh, that's the people that come and hang out. And so um, we are we are, are really close, you know, knit community, um, which I think has... I think it has an effect on the music, definitely, just because of that reason. You know, you're you're making music with your friends that you're also hanging out with outside of music, you know, and it all kind of, it just goes towards making what we have here kind of a unique, a unique thing, you know. I saw, uh, as I mentioned, your band the first night I was in town, which I'd heard on record, uh, and the record A and B is fantastic, but seeing you guys live too was just Amazing. I said to you that night, I mean, it was as good as anything I've heard, you know, living in New York City. <laughs> I was talking to um, uh, Jason, plays uh, in the band, uh, plays saxophone, and was saying how, you know, the music is just really ballsy. <laughs> One thing he said to me that was sort of funny, uh, I hope it's okay that I repeat this, but he said, well, I think one of the reasons we developed that kind of a sound is because you get used to playing in non-listening rooms, places where people aren't going just to hear music. And so it's like kind of you versus the crowd at the beginning. And to grab people's attention, you just have to go all out. And I wonder if that strikes a chord with you at all. Uh, somewhat. I could see that. I mean, we definitely can use that to an effect. You know, it's uh, there's one tune that we play. It's a Fred Anderson song um, called Little Fox Run. And um, it's just from from the first note, it's just all out, you know, in your face kind of thing. And um so we'll definitely use that to start out a set because it it snaps everybody into like oh, okay there's music happening now. And it's ironic about that is because it's one of the more free power jazz songs that we do. And so that kind of we like to use that just to set the tone, you know what I mean to say all right, here's what you're going to be listening to and then we can dial it back from there, but um I think that definitely has a, a case. But then also, you know, a lot of the times in a lot of these gigs that we play, you don't have too many people coming from just the outside that are, you know, wandering into some random show. A lot of it is, you know, people here to because they know what the band sounds like. So you don't have to fight against that too much. In a place like the Tap House where you saw us at, that Sunday night series has been going on for a long time. Um, and it's not always stuff like what we do, but it's been a lot of jazz there for a long time. So people that do wander in kind of know what to expect a little bit, you know, so.
will you talk about when you first uh, put the Fortet together and uh, if you feel like your conception of what the band uh, is was the same when you put it together as it is now? Sure. Um, so I had written some music <clears throat> um, a long time ago now, I guess back in 2004, right towards the end of my time at VCU. Um, with the idea of it being a trio with Cameron and Bob Miller, the trumpet player, Cameron Rostin on bass. And because um, I had always wanted to have a band with Bob since I first heard him play. So I had written some some compositions that were based off of these like 12 tone rows that were like just these free jazz heads um, that I that were sitting there for a long time. And um, they got set aside for a, a host of reasons. And then a couple years ago at this point now maybe two years ago I was like you know I'm gonna do this I'm tired of you know I had a, I had written a couple other songs and um, Jason Scott had just moved back to town from he was living in New York and I, I didn't know him before he left um, but I heard him play with some of the stuff he was doing and I, I talked with Cameron a lot and I was like you know man I think you know I'm gonna put this group together and that goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like everybody's so supportive of being a part of your project, whatever it is. Like I, I can't think of any band I've ever wanted to do where someone has said no. You know, I mean, it just they're like, yeah, okay, sure, we'll do it. And so all those guys were on board, and we got together and rehearsed some of those original tunes. And then once you get the sound of the players in your head and like you see what you can do or you improvise some together I think that's a big part just improvise see what happens see what the sounds are and then uh, so then I started writing more music based off of that group you know and that's that's what most of this stuff is on the record um, and then we have at least two more records of material now that I'm just waiting to get done you know to record so and why no chordal instrument right from the beginning well, the the big part of it was, I mean, I really was into Ornette's band. <clears throat> I mean, I, I mean, I still am. You know, it's like one of my favorite bands. Um, and that sound, you know, I've always liked, like, just trio records, especially of, you know, like, bass, drums, and saxophone or something. It's just something about the sound that I really enjoy. Um, and then I think also as a, as just a drummer... And the way that I think about music and the way that I've thought about music, I don't really hear chords musically. You know, I mean, obviously, if I'm playing standards and stuff, I know where the form is and stuff like that. But in my own compositions, I don't sit down behind the piano and think, okay, C minor 7, and then think about some line that goes over that. Uh, that's why I was writing a lot of 12-tone compositions, um, just different ways. And then I just hear these lines, you know, mostly when I'm writing I don't think about them in the context of a chord so it made sense for me to not have a chordal instrument in the band the hookup between you and uh, bassist Cameron Ralston is I mean it's kind of telepathic and he's a monster I mean that oh yeah I mean just <laughs> was so 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 impressed yeah. and I was sitting like a foot and a half from yeah. his bass which was <laughs> yeah. which was really nice too yeah. um and so I had a couple I mean questions about that what you know what in your mind uh makes you guys a good fit and i'm also curious about how much uh in your compositions how much of what uh cameron's doing at least on the heads 
is spelled out and how much is just left up to his discretion? Um, well, we've, we've been playing music together for a long time. Um, at this point, I mean, I, it seems like not that long, but then when you think about it, you know, we've played a lot of music together. We've practiced a lot together. We've hung out a lot together. Um, we played in various other bands together, you know, we're a rhythm section, I guess, for a lot of other people. And, um, I think just that happens eventually, you know, you can, you can make decisions while you're playing a song that if you were doing with someone that you don't normally play with, would be a complete train wreck, you know, like changing times or changing time signatures is one thing we do just, I mean, just because, you know, it becomes a game at some of the stuff. And some of the songs that I wrote that you heard us play, some of those sections are just, it's almost like a game between me and him, you know, chasing each after each other, changing time and stuff. We, like I was telling you before, we had a trio with Darius uh, Jones when he was in town. And a lot of the stuff that we were doing then is stuff that we're doing now, just however many years later, you know. So it's it has been a process. And again, I think we're just so fortunate that, you know, one, to have Cameron in town, because like you said, he is just a monster. And I mean, he could be playing with anybody, really, you know. I mean, I believe that. Um but the fact that he's stuck around for so long and that we're all so committed, I guess, to this, to this sound, um, has, has really helped foster these types of musical relationships. Um, and then as far as like how much is written out, you start to trust people's musical decisions, you know? So a lot of, a lot of what the, that fortet music is, is just, it's a head. And then, um, a couple of ideas for the improv section roadmaps basically. Um, and then we just play. So I think there's a, there was one song we played the other night and you had made the comment after we finished, you know, just play that one again. And we had never played that way before. You know what I mean? That was, that's, that whole song is supposed to go completely differently than, <laughs> than it did. Uh, but I mean, you know, we know we trust each other and you just go with it. You know, you just roll with how it's going to go. Um, so some of the stuff I write out for him, I've been getting more into writing for him specifically just because sometimes I feel like, uh, how I feel sometimes in bands where people just give me a blank sheet of paper with like hip hop beat written on the top. And it's like, okay, well, I, I can do that. And there's only one of those. <laughs> That's right. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to, give Cameron more and more because he is such a good bass player that, you know, I want to give him stuff that, uh, or I can, it feels like I can think more about the parts for him and, you know, maybe make it more challenging or, uh, give him some different ideas to improvise on or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, especially since you know, they'll be executed well <clears throat> and you only have two other voices that can play pitches that was kind of the main thing I was wondering, like how much, you know, how much do you employ him as the third pitched voice given that, yeah. And you know, he's going to be able to play it exactly. and only have the other two guys. So. And that, that especially on some of the new material has been the case. <laughs> a lot of the sections are written where I'm thinking about three voices as a chord or whatever moving, you know, this moving line. Um, and especially in some of the newer music that I'm writing uh, off that D Brown book, um, is being, is thinking more of that. It's just evolving, you know, as it, as the time goes and you realize what you can do with the band, you just start to write differently. 
let's talk about the stuff based on, on D. Brown's Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which I found very, very powerful uh, when I heard it the other night. And I just wanted to ask you about that. What what caused that music to exist? I've been really into Native American history for a long time. And I've had that book in particular for a long time. And it's been one of those things that I'm sure a lot of people can sympathize with, that you've had the book and it just sat on your bookshelf. You bought it. And it's like, okay, I'm going to read this one of these days. And then not too long ago that day came and I sat down to read and I just couldn't put it down and you start to read you know some of these stories about just you know the other side of I guess we could call it American or let's say North American history that um you're just not really taught about you know it's that you're taught about cowboys and Indians and the Indians being the savages <clears throat> and but you never really see what was going on that would cause, you know, people to do the things that they would do, you know, um, or the other, just the other side of the story. And uh, my family had, my mom has especially had been doing some research into our family history, and we do have some Native American in our blood, and it's something that I've always felt a part of me. So, you know, I really wanted to explore that. Um, and then just reading through this book it just struck me and I just sat at the piano and I started you know kind of working out some stuff without the intention of really having it be anything but I was like oh I just wrote this piece for you know this Sand Creek Massacre you know and um, then it happened you know two more times two more songs came out of that and so now the the plan is to turn it into a a suite of music um and really try to have it performed in a, you know, real legit setting, you know, hopefully some sort of theater or something like that. Um, and really just, you know, I feel like it's kind of taking on a life of its own. I, it really does mean a lot to me. And I, especially with playing it with the guys that I'm playing it with, they all have taken it to heart too, you know. Um, so it's just, it's we've been playing a few of the songs here and there just to kind of get them worked in. And it's nice to see them starting to grow and everybody starting to grasp what the music is actually supposed to be conveying or what it's actually about.
Yeah, which seems really important because it's not music you'd want to approach from a, a touristy perspective or, yeah. a, you know, like, oh, here's an interesting thing that happened in history because it's it's really, really serious. Yeah, it is. And th- and that's the thing, you know, I I was telling someone before that I don't see myself as like a some person that like an authority on the matter by any stretch of the imagination. But it is, you know, it's just one person's trying to make sense of the history of the country um, through that perspective, you know, and then having it be expressed through music the same way that, you know, you might with poetry or, or whatever, it's the same or a painter with painting something based off of it, you know, so. At the reading I did the other night, uh, I actually read a poem called I Am Not an Indian about my own Native American background. And mine is pretty far in the past, although, you know, I know exactly where it is. But it always strikes me, like, there are just so many, not to put too fine a point on it, there are so many white people in this country who get, like, really into, you know, kind of the Native American spirituality and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I think, well... The in in fact in that poem it make reference to the fact that everything this building that we're in everything we've done in this country all of this w- is on land that we stole from other people and we don't even whose names we don't even remember yeah you know it's all we've built all of this on the land of people who were here before yeah <laughs> us yeah I just think it's if if that's going to be approached, it has to be approached in a pretty serious way. And I was really impressed by the way you yeah, I think, did it. I, and I've, I really want to see it through as as honest as I can, you know, because I do, I do see it being a very serious topic that has, that shouldn't be taken lightly, you know. I would think with any with any thing like that, you know, uh, if someone's going to write a piece based on the Holocaust. It should be done well. Same with like civil, the civil rights movement or Martin Luther King or any any of these figures, Gandhi or you know whoever. Um, those are just things you don't just touch on and you know walk away from. You yeah, know, I think you see it see it through. So tell me about A and B with with so much music kind of at your at your disposal. Where this band was concerned, how did you decide which things to focus on for this recording? Um, well, with this recording, actually, we did about a year ago. Mm. Um, and at the time, uh, we had those tunes that were on there. One other song that didn't make the cut, which was called A and B. And that's why the record's <laughs> called A and B, because that was the one that didn't make it. Um, and so that was, it was kind of like, I felt like it was the the last step in the beginning of the band is to like, get what we have documented to make it a, a thing so that I could try to start sharing it with people, um, outside of our city, you know, within our city too. But, you know, that's the other thing with being in Richmond is that you're kind of a little bit up against a wall in the, in terms of your exposure. Um, although it's getting easier, you know, through the internet and Twitter, you know, how we connected and, um, through other other means but it's still you know people aren't going to come to the tap house for example you know and just wander in and say like oh my god this band's amazing because it just doesn't happen we're far enough away from things that it's is really rare for people to be in town but um so for for the record you know it was just get these tunes down so then we can 
continue, you know, because it was so, so much in the beginning of the band that sometimes with the city having so many people, sometimes a project can just be a project and then it's just done, you know, for a show or something. And I didn't want, I didn't want the guys in the band to think that that's what I was trying to do with this thing. It's like, you know, I really want, I really believe in the music and I believe in the band and I wanted to, to show everybody like, okay, no, this is something we're going to actually see through, you know. You recently uh, went up to New York to play some shows. What was that experience like? It was great. Uh, that was the first, the first trip that we had taken out of the city, uh, with this band. Um, we played in Connecticut for, um, Carl Testa's Uncertainty Music Series up there, um, and had a great show. Um, small place. I feel like in a lot of ways they're kind of doing some of the same stuff we're doing, you know, except they're just closer to New York. So it's a little bit easier. And then we played at iBeam, um, with, with Darius, one of Darius's groups. Um, and that was a great, great experience too. Just being, you know, just being up there. I think traveling with a band is, is where it's at. I mean, that's when the music really starts to come alive, you know, having a chance to play it a couple times and back to back to back, you know, whatever. It was, it was a really great, great trip and got to meet a lot of great, great musicians and hang out some with some people. So I think that, you know, we're trying to do it again here soon. Is there something about the, even though you guys are all friends and you've known each other for years, but is there something about the the camaraderie of travel that changes the way the music happens too? I think so. I mean, it has to. Like we traveled, the four of us in my Honda Element with my drums and an upright bass. <laughs> uh, and I have pictures very to prove up close it. and yeah. personal. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Jason and Bob sat in the back seat and they couldn't, I mean, they couldn't see each other. You know, nobody could see each other. I couldn't see Cameron. He was sitting next to me. Uh, so we were like in four pods, you know, going up and down Interstate 95. Um, and so I think when you, just when you're away from your daily life and you're, you're depending on each other 
and you're playing music depending on each other, um, it changes not only not only the band but just your relationships grow, you know, from that. And uh, when we came back from that trip, we had a show at this place called The Listening Room, which is a really great um, thing that you do at this theater space. And uh, you could just tell that when we sat down to play the music, there was no like warming up to it. It's just like, okay, let's, you know, here we are. It's just another day. And then, you know, the following week we had our CD release show. So, you know, it, it was interesting just to see how much the sound of the band did change just from those couple of days of being, being out. It really makes you long for the days when you could play, you know, for six weeks somewhere, oh, you know, every night. <clears throat> That's just... right. I mean, that would be, that would be amazing to, to have one of those like Coltrane, stints at the vanguard or something you know uh just to go for months i mean playing every night six nights a week or something yeah. like two or three sets plus a matinee That's or right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh i saw a thing with elvin jones saying that they were doing some matinee and coltrane played like one tune for the entire matinee like four hours or something you know just one song and elvin's just back there you know doing his thing <laughs> But so, yeah, I can only imagine like taking one of our songs and saying, okay, we're going to play this for four hours, you know, <laughs> like, <That's right. laughs> let's see what happens, you know? So, uh, that's yeah. Amazing. Can you talk about what your experience at uh, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, what, what that was like for you and, and how it contributed to what you're doing today? I had a great time at VCU. Some people didn't, some people do. It's just one of those things, probably like with any school. Um, I think it's what you what you put in is what you get out, especially with a school like VCU. But I had some, just some amazing teachers that really, I mean, literally changed my life. Um, <clears throat> Doug Richards, who you had interviewed, um, <clears throat> and my teacher, Howard Curtis, drummer. Uh, just, I mean, Howard, Howard especially, I, I wouldn't be doing anything that I'm doing now had he not been my teacher. Uh, why not? He, he was like, a, or he is, uh, like, a a Zen master or something in a lot of the ways that he would teach you. Um, and I've, I've heard that from a lot of other people who have had similar experiences that I've had, but sometimes he would just bring in stacks of CDs, you know, and stuff that I've never heard before at that time. Like, you know, the Hal Russell NRG ensemble. He's like, have you ever heard this? I'm like, no. So he'd put it on and, you know, 20 minutes later, my mind would be blown and I'd be like, okay, I've got to go buy this now. <laughs> and then, then, I mean, he's the one that exposed me to all that AACM stuff from Chicago that like, um, I mean, that music changed my life. Uh, and just, just things that I would not have ever discovered or I would have discovered much later on he was just hitting me with it because he saw, I think one of his great uh, things about him is that he saw in you what you were kind of headed towards in a lot of ways. So like, you know, if I was really into playing straight ahead jazz, he would have, I'm sure the stack of records that he would have brought in would have been a completely different thing. But he was also really, he really believed in the fundamentals of listening to Philly Joe Jones or, you know, Art Taylor or, you know, all the, just the foundation. He kind of, he said you had to have that together. But then 
I think he also saw that there was a, in a foundation in free jazz music as well. You know, the Sonny Murray or Rashid Ali or those people that <clears throat> I feel like a lot of teachers maybe had, maybe wouldn't have spent as much time focusing on for whatever reason, because I think that those guys unfortunately aren't as uh, big of a household name as, you know, some of the other players. And I think they, they all have the same importance in the lineage of the music, you know, just different ways of approaching it. You know, he exposed me to all that stuff. And then just him as a person, he, again, he was just one of these super supportive people who was just a monster at playing the drums. Um, he, I mean, he drove me to buy my, my drum set, you know, he was that kind of teacher, you know, took me in his van down to Norfolk to, to get my drums. And I was, I was just thinking like, you know, who does that? You know, uh, he was just really caring, really caring guy. And there was, especially in the jazz faculty at VCU, you, you felt that a lot. Um, Bob Hallahan, who's a great piano player, teacher there, had a big influence. John Wynn, saxophone player, um, really gave me a, a lot of great direction, um, especially early on at VCU. Uh, so it's just, that and then just also all these people that I'm still playing with now, we met through there. So, uh, you know, late night practice sessions there, you know, or late night free jazz freakout sessions, you know, just exploring like how crazy can we get. Uh, it was just a real, I think it's just a real fortunate time that I happened upon VCU. So, did you decide early on after graduating from college that this is where you were going to make your home? That's tough to say because I had talked a lot about um, moving with Howard. We had talked about that. Howard's big thing was you have two options, which are so uh, such an obvious statement, but you have two options. Either you go to where the scene is or you stay and make your own scene. It's basically all you can do. And um, it seems as though we've optioned for option B. We've stayed and made our own scene. Um but, you know, I had, I had thought about, I had dreamed about moving to Europe to play. And I still, my big goal is to take my band to Europe somehow, some way. I just. Where uh, it would kill. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this band would destroy it. Europe. Um, it would be great. That's, I mean, that's my, that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. That's what I want to have happen. Everybody tells me it's impossible that you're not going to be able to do it. You can't, you can't make money doing it. And well, it's like, I'm not making a ton of money here doing it. So all I got to do is get there and at least I'll not be making money in Europe for two weeks. That's, you know? <laughs> that, I so resonate with that because that was exactly how I decided to do what I'm doing. I was going to be homeless <laughs> yeah. in New York and I decided, well, I could be homeless in New York or homeless everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Be homeless everywhere. <laughs> that's right. So, um, and so that's, I mean, I had talked about that, um, some about just trying to, to do it. And my fiance, and I still talk about, you know, why don't we just go and move somewhere for a year? You know, you can always come back. A year goes by so fast. Um, but, you know, sometimes you you get bogged down by your current reality of the financial situation or whatever. But, um, yeah, so if anybody wants to help me get to Europe and bring my band, then... Uh, I'm, my inbox is open, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's great. 
what's on the horizon uh, for you or for this band, uh, maybe in terms of recordings? Or I mean, it sounds like, as you said, you've got a couple other albums worth of material. Yeah, uh, I'm in the process of saving up money to, to do the next record. Um, and then I think what, what I want to have happen is to do another record of some of the um, the other original material that we've done since the last record. And then um, hopefully, you know, before the end of the year, really try to do a good recording of that music based off of Wounded Knee. Um, but again, with, with that music, I feel like it's going to take just a little bit more because I've thought about trying to reach out to some guest artists or whatever that might be interested in collaborating to really turn that, that project into, you know, something bigger. So that would, that's just going to take a little bit more time and effort, but, um, really, you know, I'm hoping that before the, before the fall comes, we can record another record. Um, it's just a matter of saving up the money. So as we are uh, having this conversation, uh, in, June of 2012, you are 48 hours away from getting married. So that's right. This this uh, this Saturday, the 16th. Wish you all the be, best. Yeah, it'll be official. That's great. No longer a bachelor. Actually, you saw the last my last gig as a as a bachelor. So. Very nice. Yeah, it's a historic. <laughs> it was historic a historic occasion. moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even the. Uh, I mean, I guess this is a. I hope this is okay to say, but I mean, even the people who are in your wedding are people from the Richmond music scene, right? Yeah, I mean, my. My best man is Cameron, uh, a really great friend of mine named Gabe Charay, goes by the name Snow Panda, uh, is, is one of the groomsmen and Scott Burton is as well. So, uh, I mean, that's a band right there. You know, we should, we should make <laughs> a, exactly right. we should do, do a session or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, you know, I, I was looking, we were looking last night and all the people that I had invited are all the people that I play music with, you know, um. I mean, such a large majority of my friends are all musicians now, just through happenstance. You know, it's just the people you're around all the time. So, so the, I mean, the wedding band better be good because it's the well, audience is going to be pretty hardcore. Yeah. See, that's the problem is that there is no wedding band. <laughs> There's no one left to yeah, play. Right? That's right. <laughs> when all your friends are musicians, <laughs> unless you want to put them to work on your on your wedding, then you don't have a wedding band. <laughs> that's very so, funny. Yeah, the wedding band is going to be. Uh, DJ, and then I'm going to actually get some people to put together uh, some playlists. Because one good thing about having so many musician friends is that everybody has such awesome selections of music that they can put together an awesome playlist on the iPod to you know, just to keep you going. So that's great. Yeah. That's the plan. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I've been, I've been, uh, riding a fair amount in, uh, Scott Burton's car, Scott Burton from Glow in the Dark and, uh, listening to everything from, I think the first thing that was playing when I got in his car the other night was Hall and Oates. Mm -hmm. And then I think it went into MF Doom and then some, like the soundtrack from some like Ultraman TV show oh. or something <laughs> and some Italian crime film yeah, yeah. music. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. It wouldn't be, yeah, that, that sounds like a Scott Burton ride. <laughs> yeah. And then you just need like a little bit of like Prague in there, like yeah. magma. He's really into magma. Nice. He turned me on to. And that drummer, Christian Van Vander, I think is his name, is amazing. That guy's phenomenal. Uh and you know, so he's he's got a soft spot in his heart for that that stuff. Yeah. Uh, which Yeah, he and I share that definitely. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. 
My guest is Scott Clark. He and his uh, Fortet have a new album called A and B, which is it's just fantastic. It's uh, it's absolutely worthy of your attention. And for all you European festival bookers out there, and I know <laughs> I know there are quite a few of you who listen to this show because you've contacted me for various reasons. So spring bring my man here. Yeah, my, to my inbox time. is open. It's, I'm ready. It's time to do it, uh, man. It's been such a pleasure. I'm so glad I got to come here, and I really do thank you. You were you were very gracious host, and yeah. uh, and just made this a, a successful part of well, my tour. So thanks yeah, a lot. Thank you, man. All the all the best on the rest of the travel. We'll be following along the tour diary, diary and, and everything. So, and you invited me on your honeymoon, right? I remember, I can't yeah, remember. Because, yeah, because uh, we're not taking one. So, okay, yeah, man. All right. Um, That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, yeah. So you're welcome. You're welcome, man. You, uh, you know where we live. Exactly. So that's where we'll be. That's fantastic. Uh, once again, Scott Clark and the Ford Set A and B. Go get that record. And uh, thanks again for being here. Thank you. That's music from Scott Clark and his new quartet record, A and B. Interview recorded in Richmond, Virginia, a really, really wonderful place with an incredible music scene. If you're uh, in the area or heading that way, I highly recommend stopping in Richmond and seeing some of the great music happening there. This is The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. You can join the show at thejazzsession.com slash join. You can support the tour at thejazzsession.com slash tour. And, of course, follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. Meanwhile, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody!
Bye. Bye.